What's up, guys? We're going to do this podcast. My name is Solomon Ali, at Solomon Ali NBA on Twitter. So it's going to be just me today, but I promise you we have a jam-packed show. But first, I should probably explain what's going on here. Uh, and if you are just an audio subscriber to the podcast, I'm currently waving to my very first YouTube audience on the Apple on the Apollo Houston channel. If you want to exit out of your podcast player to come see what the hell I'm doing and what the hell I'm talking about, you can find the channel link in the description in the, of this episode. First, let me explain. First, if you're a subscriber to this Apollo Houston channel and you've never heard of me before, I don't blame you. A. Uh, B. My name is Salman Ali. I independently cover the Houston Rockets for Red Nation Hoops. That is an email newsletter as well as a podcast. I've been covering the Rockets in some way, shape, or form for the better half of a decade. The podcast you're actually listening to right now has existed for seven years alone in an audio-only format. Uh, Hello. It's nice to meet you. Uh, Secondly, if you're a longtime subscriber to this podcast, let me explain what's going on. Uh, So I am partnering with longtime friend Taylor Pate and my good friends over at Apollo Houston to produce video content. We've kind of hinted that something was coming for about a month now. Uh, We've partnered up for an NBA draft special. Hopefully you guys got a chance to go check that out on Twitch. Um, I've shown up to multiple Apollo events and got to meet a bunch of awesome Rockets fans. Um, So this has been in the works for a while. Uh, If all goes well, the Red Nation Hoops podcast will appear in video form every week on this youtube channel um forever hopefully you know shout out to super producer josh on the who's on the ones and twos by the way he actually helped produce the draft special and i I got a chance to meet him got a chance to meet uh everybody at apollo um the hq by the way over there is really nice they got a really professional operation going there um so now that that's all out of the way, let's get this show started, shall we? I'm going to take a small break, and then I'll be right back. Okay, so I want to explain my absence from podcasts in the past few weeks. And the explanation is actually that I haven't been able, I haven't been absent from podcasting. I recorded a couple episodes with guests. Uh, they were both not suitable for upload uh, for one reason or another, so I didn't upload them. And now I'm back. I can get back to my normal once-a-week upload schedule as we fast approach the 250th episode of Red Nation Noops. I'm so excited for that episode. Uh, So let's get this moving. I haven't really gotten a chance to talk about the draft or share my thoughts on it, in particular about the Rockets on this platform. I know that it was a while ago, but I do want to talk about it. By the way, if if you see me looking over, it's because I have my notes right here. Normally, they're in digital format, but now that it's video, I can't be looking down like this as I talk into the microphone because that makes for terrible video. So I got the best I can do is just look over right here on my digital notes. I'm, I'm having to advance a little bit, but um, that's just to explain why I keep looking over. I have my notes up here. Um, yeah. The Rockets draft night. I thought they did great. I thought they did great on the whole. I gave them an A for the night after Chet and Paulo came off the board. Jabari Smith jr. Is 100% the guy I would have selected. And, I may have explored taking Jay Nivey, but overall, I would have picked Jabari at three. Uh, he's just such a clean fit and exactly what the Rockets are looking for on both ends of the floor. He's one of the best three-point shooting prospects of all time, uh, and the Rockets were 21st in the NBA in three-point shooting last year. Um, he's a versatile defender uh, that you can slot right in next to Alper and Shangun, and you don't have to worry about the fit. I'll get back to this point a little bit. 
Tari Easton at 17. I like it. I may have swung for the fences and gone for someone like Malachi Branham, but overall, Easton is again an awesome fit for the Rockets on the wings. After Chet Holmgren and Jeremy Sokan, he was probably the best defender in this draft left on the board. He became dramatically better shooting the basketball in his sophomore season. He can, you can play him at three, four, and five. You can defend multiple positions. And it helps you insulate Alper and Shangun even more. And this is why I wanted to come back to this. Next season is the year of LP, baby. If you weren't on the Shangun bandwagon before, you better hop on now because the Rockets are clearing the runway for this guy. Uh, they traded Christian Wood, so that starting center position is open. The, the floor is going to be space for him to operate down low without worry. And Houston is going to put a ton of defensive versatility around him. Whether that's Jabari, Eason, Garuba, or Jayshon Tate, Houston now has the flexibility to put two-plus defenders next to him at all times. So I like the Eason pick. I like, I like the Eason pick a lot. Um, and just as a quick aside, uh, it's funny how Houston is just scooping up these analytic darlings like in the middle of the draft nowadays. Uh, last year, they took Shangun, who many of the numbers guys were willing to tell me that they that he should have gone top five. Uh, and this year, they took the guy that someone just a few days ago told me he had in his top 10. Uh, that's Tar Eason. Um, I'm not going to tell you uh, where he had him because these organizations are like super proprietary with their modeling systems and they don't like to share that kind of stuff. But I, I think it's, he's okay with me saying that Easton was in his top 10 uh, just kind of tells you that after Daryl, the Rockets haven't done away with analytics as a factor in their decision-making quite yet. Uh, it's very much still involved. Ty uh, Ty Washington at 29. That's pretty good value. That's pretty good value. I'll be honest and admit that I wasn't the biggest Ty Ty fan. I, but even I had him ranked like 23rd on my big board at rednationhoops.com, by the way, if you want to go check that out. He's a nice guy to have as their backup point guard option if Dacian Nix doesn't work out. Or hell, like on the high end of things, he could become your starter if KPJ and Nix both don't work out. Now, that's obviously a super high projection. You shouldn't expect that. That's not what I'm projecting. But that is something, you know, just think about. Um, generally, it's best to think of him as like a fourth guard because the Rockets already have so many guards. They have KPJ, Jalen Green, Josh Christopher, Dacian Nix, and now Ty Ty. So I would probably mentally slot him in as that fourth guard for Houston. And again, oh yeah, and they have Eric Gordon as well. Uh, but I think they're going to use Eric Gordon more as a wing. But again, they could have swung for the fences here and taken someone like Jalen Hardy. But I like this value of 29. And it's easy to see that Houston is kind of stacking the roster uh, with contingency options uh, at every position. Uh, because make no mistake, some of these guys aren't going to work out. Um, you know, not everybody you draft works out. And it's better to know that now and plan with it in mind than find out the hard way later. And I want to end my draft talk with the Christian Wood trade. Because as you all know, I wasn't the biggest fan of the original return on this trade. Number 26 in a not-so-deep draft for a player like Wood feels objectively below average. However, Houston takes this trade and turns it into Wood and for Ty Ty and two second-rounders. That's about median 
return for Wood. Still not great, but certainly not bad. Um, and I highlighted this trade to say this. I think I need to start giving Rockets GM Rafael Stone the benefit of the doubt with some of this stuff moving forward. I wrote about this at rednationnoops.com, but I'll say it here again. The Rockets are getting the big things right. You know, I may quibble about a decision here or there, but in general, I think they have a well-thought-out plan. I think they're disciplined in their approach, and it's hard to argue with the results. They've built out the bones for a logical, competitive basketball team. They just make sense, right? You know, I talked about earlier about how they're making LP the focus point, the focal point, and they're doing that by logically fitting him with players that compensate for what he's bad at. You know, that's just an, uh, one example of how they're kind of being very logical about how they're building out their roster and they have a plan and they're, they're following through with that plan. And I respect the hell out of them for that. Um, and they aren't done building yet. They could still get another lottery pick next year. They have all these Nets picks in their back pocket and they have over $70 million in cap space next year. There are a ton of avenues for them to improve. And in just two years, they've also dug themselves out of the hole that the Russell Westbrook trade put them in. Now, we still don't know what those picks and swaps uh, will end up being, but they've done enough to prevent complete disaster. I don't think you know that OKC trade is going to be um, horrendous for Houston anymore. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and say I view uh, Rafael Stone in the same light as Maury Ainge, Masai, Presti, and all these other top executives, but he's done enough to be. Um, he, I mean, he hasn't he hasn't done enough to be included in that group, but he's done enough to get some of the benefit of the doubt with me. I'm no longer going to second guess every decision Houston makes. Um, again, that doesn't mean I won't criticize or question Rafael when it's warranted. I think I'm just going to start giving that front office some breathing room if they do something I find questionable. You know. I, like, uh, for example, I was pretty harsh on them for not pulling the trigger on an Aragorn deal at the trade deadline. For stuff like that, I'm going to wait and see what the end return is before I rush to judgment. I can't take back what I said about the Gordon stuff. Uh, you guys can go listen to it if you want to. But if they can get a first-round pick by waiting out the market, I'll recant that criticism. You know, I'm not. I'm not. Af- I'm never afraid to say when I'm admit when I'm wrong. You know, I I don't I don't think there's any value in doubling down, so I'm not going to do that. Um, all right, let's take another quick break here, and we'll be right back. I'm really struggling to get used to this video format. Okay, what else happened while I was away? Kevin Durant requests a trade out of Brooklyn. All right, um, obviously Rockets fans are salivating at the mouth because of what this could mean for those Nets picks that they acquired from the Harden trade. And I think they're right to do so. Don't get me wrong. Like, is this the slam dunk best case scenario for those Brooklyn picks? No, but the best case scenario is Kate, you know, the, the best case scenario is KD never signs that extension and he leaves the organization high and dry and free along with Kyrie and Harden. However, is this a good outcome for Houston? Absolutely. Now you know now you know for sure that those those picks are going to be much more valuable on the front end than anticipated. But I do want to caution fans. This is not like the Celtics situation in 2013. It is unlikely that the Nets picks end up in the top 3. 
Billy, Billy King's not in charge anymore. This is a Sean Marks operation. And for my money, that dude is one of the best executives in basketball. Despite all the mistakes the organization has made this year, Brooklyn also has KD, Kyrie, and Ben Simmons under contract, meaning they can just flip those dudes for assets and get a return back. Uh, the the Nets in 2013 had like Bojan Bogdanovic as like one of their as their best trade asset, right? Totally different situation. Completely empty cupboard there with no avenue to restock. Where slightly empty cupboard here with avenues to restock. So they're going to restock that cupboard with draft picks, good young players, and they have no incentive to bottom out. And that's the key point. Even if they talk about these picks as if they're a sunk cost, they will actively fight those picks being good. So that brings me to a question I posed this week on my newsletter. Is now the best time to sell on those Nets picks? Because you could make the case that those Nets picks are probably the most valuable they're ever going to get right now. It's not conclusive, but you can make a pretty compelling argument that they may be. Um, should they call Toronto and inquire about Scotty Barnes? Should they call and ask about Donovan Mitchell? Or Denver Denver about Michael Porter Jr.? DeAndre Jordan in a sign trade with the Suns? Maybe Orlando is willing to sell Jalen Suggs at a discount for a pick, a swap, in Kenyon Martin Jr. You know, he didn't play that well last year. Maybe Houston can capitalize on that and decide to sell maybe a couple of these assets off for Suggs. And that can be their point guard option. You know, will the Sacramento Kings be receptive to Davion Mitchell trades? Who knows? The world is Houston's oyster right now, and they should explore it, especially with KD on the market right now. Because if you think about it, who values those picks more than any other team in the NBA? The Brooklyn Nets. What if you can sneak into the KD sweepstakes as a third party and facilitate things by offering the Nets control of their own future back? I'm sure they'd be receptive to at least hearing what Houston has to offer. Maybe that's the, maybe that's being the vehicle uh, to landing Houston a blue chip prospect like Barnes or Aiden, whoever. If I'm the Rockets, I'm at least having meetings about it, and I'm having someone put together like 12 different kinds of trades that can be put up in an office on a whiteboard somewhere. It's just something to think about, you know? I it's it, to think that this is the same situation as Boston in 2013. I think that's naive. It's unlikely that they are going to get an asset back like Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown for one of the for one of those picks. Like it's just that's really hard, right? It's like you're you're talking about first of all, the lottery is flatter now, right? So you're not gonna there. The, you're less likely to be in the top three than ever before. Second of all, they're going to try and avoid this and they have avenues to try and avoid this. Whereas in 2013, they had no avenues to try and avoid catastrophe. Um, so I, I would just be very careful about locking in those picks as like, oh, they're for sure going to get a top end prospect. Now, when I say top end I'm not saying lottery. Like they're probably going to get at least one lottery pick back as of right now. Like just the projecting out 
it's unlikely that the Nets don't convey one lottery pick to Houston at some point in time, if things stand pat. But are they going to get a convey a top five pick? Probably not. Probably not. I, just because, again, the Nets are going to try in this Kevin Durant trade to land good players back that keep them competitive. And if they can get like Donovan Mitchell or Scotty Barnes or um, whoever, you know, con- if the salary filler they get back is good, is talented, they're not going to bottom out. They're not. They just have incentive to not do so. They they have no incentive to bottom out. So I would keep that in mind. D- get excited, of course. If you're a Rockets fan, get excited that this thing is, you know, coming down in flames as quickly as it has, and that those picks have gone up in value. But consider the idea that maybe it's time to capitalize on that value. You know, maybe start thinking about moving those picks. If not now, maybe in the future. You know, I I think this is the highest point. I think there's a real possibility that this is the highest point in value for those picks. But even if they decide to trade those picks next summer, you know, when they have all that cap space for a star player, I don't think it's the worst idea in the world. You may be missing out on what those twenty twenty on that what that twenty twenty seven swap from Brooklyn could be, but as long as as you're not trading those picks back to Brooklyn they have no incentive to bottom out and they will fight it. So it's just, um, it's just food for thought. Uh, what else have we not covered Free agency? Um, that Jay Sean Tate contract Houston signed was awesome. It was awesome. Simply awesome. Like if you're talking about a bargain for one of the best defenders in basketball and it's a raise that actually helps Houston, you may be thinking that's strange. When does giving a player a raise ever helpful for an organization? Well, here's the thing. Jay Sean Tate's last contract was so cheap that it was actually difficult to construct trades because it required packaging him with at least one other significant contract. Now his contract is sizable enough that A, you can trade him in a one-for-one for, you know, whatever contract, you know, like a normal NBA contract. And... B, you can more easily aggregate him with other contracts. Perhaps there's a star player available that you want to trade for. Combine Tate's contract with Eric Gordon and David Nwaba, and you have a seat at the table for most star players. You can you can salary match. You know, at least over the next year. When they have all that space next year, they won't have to do all that. Obviously, they can just take players into space. So I love that signing. Uh, a plus, plus, plus. Um, unless there's an intriguing young player that they want to bet on right now, I think standing Pat would be the smart move for Houston. You can wave Boban and add a young player you like during the season. There's no reason to do that right now if you're not in love with somebody. I'll talk about what's going on like in Summer League next week with the guest because I know that's what everybody's talking about. I just I want to get a more conclusive sample size. If you want to hear my thoughts, I'm tweeting about it during the games, right? But I'm not going to do a podcast analyzing what's going on in Summer League until there's like four games in the books. So next week, you'll have that Summer League podcast 
where I talk about everything that's going on in summer league right now. Uh, it should be fun. I, I, I love summer league. It is, it is extremely interesting to see these young players battle, battle it out for effectively roster spots or, but not roster spots, rotation spots. You know, who's going to be the backup point guard? Is it going to be Ty Ty Washington? Or is it going to be Dacian Nix? You know, stuff like that is interesting to me. Or obviously Jabari Smith Jr. is, is the, the show, right? Obviously, he's he's super compelling. What about Tari Eason? Uh, this young guy looks really good. We'll talk about him more next week. But, you know, it, the players like him that are drafted like mid-lottery that look like, or actually outside the lottery, just outside the lottery, are some of the most compelling talents because if they show the requisite talent to look like players that should have gone in the lottery, you know, it, it makes Houston look a lot better. So we'll talk about all that next week. Um, subscribe to Renation News Podcast on Google Play, iTunes, and Spotify. If you want to watch the video, subscribe to Apollo Houston on YouTube. The link is in the description. I'll talk to you guys next week. Later. <laughs>